Our gospel reading catapults us into a scene of open hostility toward Jesus. Last weekend, we saw how the Pharisees were stung to the heart by Jesus' parable of a king, God, who gave a feast for his son, only to have the invited guests, the chosen people, throw it back in God's face and even killed God's messengers, the prophets. In retaliation, said Jesus in the story, the king sent his troops to kill the murderers and burn their city, a prediction of what was going to happen to the population of Jerusalem and the utter destruction of the temple, all of which occurred in the year 70 AD. Now, said Jesus, the king, God, was to invite all peoples, meaning the non-Jews, to the feast the messianic kingdom, and that infuriated the religious authorities. But we also heard a warning last weekend. While all are invited, not all will accept the invitation to the kingdom of heaven to direct the choices they make in this life to weave a wedding garment. This is not a garment that covers the body. It is a garment that covers the soul, woven over a lifetime by the works of love and charity that genuine faith is always inspiring us to do. And this means that each of us is responsible for the quality of the wedding garment we wear when, at the very moment of death, we go before the Lord in judgment. Now comes in our gospel reading. The Pharisees perceive Jesus to be a threat. It is difficult for modern Christians to appreciate the role of the Pharisees, as they are often presented in less than a complimentary light in our Gospels. I had the privilege of growing up in a predominantly Jewish community. I would frequently go to synagogue. I think I just come from a slightly different perspective. The simple truth is the Pharisees preserved Judaism. The Pharisees can trace their origin to the time of the Babylonian exile in 587 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered the Jewish people, destroyed the temple and its centrality in Jewish life. The cream of Jewish society was deported to Babylon with the goal of being assimilated into the larger culture to ensure that they would lose their religious, ethnic, and cultural identity. But there were those who rose to the challenge and resisted. Despite the tragic, psychologically debilitating loss of the temple, this particular group developed a way to worship God. They did so through formalized prayer and the intense study and debate of the book of the law, using the Torah to discern how to preserve and enhance Jewish life and faith in God while surrounded by a pagan society. These people became known as Pharisees, and their descendants were an equally tough and resilient people who dug in their heels and resisted the seductions of the dominant cultures of their times. Even after the temple was rebuilt, the Pharisees were an influential movement in Judaism that continued to focus on what it meant to be God's chosen people, 
to receive his law, his Torah. And so the sacrificial rites of the restored temple and the study of Torah grew side by side. The subsequent history of the hierarchy of the temple priests had its ups and downs. But the centrality of Torah and how the Torah should form and govern Jewish life remained, even when the chosen people were yet again subjected to another tyrant, the Greeks, who attempted to assimilate the Jews into a larger Greek culture by establishing laws aimed at destroying Jewish identity. One such law was forbidding parents to have their boys circumcised. The Pharisees stubbornly resisted, and the penalty for not obeying the law was death, and many Pharisees sacrificed their lives. They refused to compromise the law of God to pacify their conquerors. So by Jesus' day, the Pharisees had earned their hard-won reputation among the Jews. They were highly respected. They were revered. They were looked up to, and rightly so. By the way, the, Pharisee, the Pharisees are the only branch of Judaism that survives to this day. During the period of the Roman occupation, the Pharisees again rose to the challenge, ensuring the continuity and the purity of a Jewish way of life, but through a rigid adherence of keeping separate from non-Jews, having nothing to do with non-Jews, not even having anything non-Jews would have. And so they perceived Jesus' openness, his charity to non-Jews, his message of hope, his parables making it clear that non-Jews will receive the kingdom of heaven, so much a threat that the Pharisees did something unthinkable. They formed an alliance with another movement in Judaism, the Herodians. The Herodians believed in the absolute centrality and necessity of the temple and the priesthood for Jewish life. That the survival of Judaism relied on developing policies of peaceful coexistence with the Romans so that the role of the temple in Jewish life could be relatively unmolested. Pharisees and Herodians were polar opposites. They detested each other. And yet, these two groups formed an alliance to destroy Jesus. This was the classic example of the old proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, the two groups approached Jesus, and first they tried to soften him up with flattery. Then they posed the question, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? It was a dead trap. If Jesus said it was lawful, he would have been seen as a traitor by the other Jews. If he said it was unlawful, he would have labeled himself an enemy of Rome. Either way, Jesus could not win. But 
Jesus is not a mere man. He is God. As God, he sees beyond the appearances to the truth of all things. And so Jesus confronted them, first by revealing their thoughts and calling them hypocrites, which most likely took them off guard. Then he asked them for an item. What did he ask for? What kind of coin? Hang on to that. A Roman coin. And what did at least one of the Pharisees do? He gave him a Roman coin. Now, why is that a big deal? Let me tell you. The second that Pharisee, representing that group of Pharisees and Herodians, delivered that coin, he branded himself and everyone in the group as a hypocrite. Why? Because the coin would have been a silver Roman denarius. What does that mean? On one side of the coin was the image of Caesar Tiberius with the inscription, Son of the Divine Augustus. And on the other side of the coin, an inscription that proclaimed the emperor to be High Priest. Titles that were deeply offensive to both Pharisees and Herodians. Now, if the Pharisees insisted on no contact with the non-Jewish world, why was one of them or all of them carrying a coin that represented the very thing they detested about Roman society? Obviously, they paid the tax. Well, Jesus went further. He said, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Now, what does that mean? The coin bore the image of Caesar, or the symbols of the state, and therefore belongs to Caesar and the state. The human person, however, bears something far greater. The image of the living God. Paying taxes does nothing to diminish the eternal dignity that one possesses. But one's priority must be to lead a life that is in concert with being made in the image of God and respecting that image in all people. Money will eventually disintegrate and be lost forever. The man or the woman who makes God first in his or her life will never be lost, and neither will the works of faith he or she performs to help lead others to faith. By all means, let us give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but to God what belongs to him.